Humbly and gratefully, I stand before you today and seek the influence of the Holy Spirit to give witness to my message. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after restoring his gospel in our day and establishing his church, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, revealed through his prophet Joseph Smith the following. Hearken, O ye people of my church, saith the voice of him who dwells on high, and whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily I say, hearken ye people from afar, and ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. For verily the the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape. And the voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples, whom I have chosen in these last days, unquote. Today, today I shall speak doctrine by way of warning and of testimony, and shall do so as one holding the holy apostleship, whose responsibility it is to proclaim the Lord's message in all the world and to all people. Each of my brethren of the Council of the Twelve has the same responsibility I have, to declare these things to the world and to bear record of them before all men. Toward the end of his mortal ministry, the Lord commanded the prophet Joseph Smith as follows, Make a solemn proclamation of my gospel to all the kings of the world, to the four corners thereof, and to all the nations of the earth. He was to invite them to come to the light of truth, and use their means to build up the kingdom of God on the earth. In the spirit of this divine direction, on the sixth day of April in 1845, and shortly after the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram had mingled their blood with that of the other martyrs of true religion, the Council of the Twelve made such a proclamation. They address it to all the kings of the world, to the President of the United States of America, to the governors of the several states, and to the rulers and people of all nations. In it they said, Know ye that the kingdom of God has come, as has been predicted by ancient prophets and prayed for in all ages, even that kingdom which shall fill the whole earth and shall stand forever. The great Elohim, has been pleased once more to speak from the heavens and also to commune with man upon the earth by means of open visions and by the ministration of holy messengers. By this means the great and eternal high priesthood, after the order of his Son, even the apostleship has been restored or returned to the earth. This high priesthood, our apostleship, holds the keys of the kingdom of God, the power to bind on earth that which shall be bound in heaven, and to loose on earth that which shall be loosed in heaven, and in fine to do and to administer in all things pertaining to the ordinances, organization, government, and direction of the kingdom of God, being established in these last days for the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets since the world began, and in order to prepare the way for the coming of the Son of Man. And we now bear witness that his coming is near at hand, and not many years hence 
The nations and their kings shall see him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In order to meet this great event, there must needs be a preparation. Therefore, we send unto you with authority from on high and command you all to repent and humble yourselves as little children before the majesty of the Holy One and come unto Jesus Christ with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and be baptized in his name for the remission of sins, that is, be buried in the water in the likeness of his burial and rise again to newness of life in the likeness of his resurrection and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands of the apostles and elders of this great and last dispensation of mercy to man. This Spirit shall bear witness to you of the truth of our testimony and shall enlighten your minds and be in you as a spirit of prophecy and revelation. It shall bring things past to your understanding and remembrance, and shall show you things to come. By the light of this Spirit, received through the ministration of the ordinances, by the power and the authority of the holy apostleship and, and priesthood, you will be enabled to understand and to, be, and to be the children of light, and thus be prepared to escape all the things that are coming on the earth and to stand before the Son of Man. We testify that the foregoing doctrine is the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness, and that it is the only true, everlasting, and unchangeable gospel and the only plan revealed on earth whereby men can be saved." Unquote. It seems fitting and proper to me that we should reaffirm the great truths pronounced in this declaration, and that we should proclaim them anew to the world. To the rulers and peoples of all nations, we solemnly declare again that the God of heaven has established his latter-day kingdom upon the earth in fulfillment of prophecies. Holy angels have again communed with men on the earth. God has again revealed himself from the heaven and restored to the earth his holy priesthood with power to administer in all the sacred ordinances necessary for the exaltation of his children. His church has been reestablished among men with all the spiritual gifts enjoyed anciently. All this is done in preparation for Christ's second coming. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is near at hand. In preparation for this great event, and as a means of escaping the impending judgments, inspired messengers have gone and are going forth to the nations of the earth, carrying this testimony and warning. The nations of the earth continue in their sinful and unrighteous ways. Much of the unbounded knowledge with which men have been blessed has been used to destroy mankind instead of to bless the children of men as the Lord intended. Two great world wars, with fruitless efforts at lasting peace, are solemn evidence that peace has been taken from the earth because of the wickedness of the people. Nations cannot endure in sin. They will be broken up, but the kingdom of God will endure forever.
Therefore, as humble servants of the Lord, we call upon the leaders of nations to humble themselves before God, to seek his inspiration and guidance. We call upon rulers and people alike to repent of their evil ways, turn unto the Lord, seek his forgiveness, and unite yourselves in humility with his kingdom. There is no other way. If you will do this, your sins will be blotted out, peace will come and remain, and you will become a part of the kingdom of God in preparation for Christ's second coming. But if you refuse to repent or to accept the testimony of his inspired messengers and unite yourself with God's kingdom, then the terrible judgments and calamities promised the wicked will be yours. The Lord in his mercy has provided a way of escape. The voice of warning is unto all people by the mouths of his servants. If this voice is not heeded, the angels of destruction will increasingly go forth and the chastening hand of Almighty God will be felt upon the nations as, as decreed until the full end thereof will be the result. Wars, devastation, and untold suffering will be your lot except you turn unto the Lord in humble repentance. Destruction even more terrible and far-reaching than attended the last great war will come with certainty unless the rulers and people alike repent and cease their evil and godless ways. God will not be mocked. He will not permit the sins of sexual immorality, secret murderous combinations, the killing of the unborn, and disregard for all his holy commandments and the messages of his servants to go unheeded without grievous punishment for such wickedness. The nations of the world cannot endure in sin. The way of escape is clear. The immutable laws of God remain steadfastly in the heavens above. When men and nations refuse to abide by them, the penalty must follow. They will be wasted away. Sin demands punishment. When the voice of warning goes forth, it is always attended by testimony. In the great declaration issued by the apostles of Jesus Christ in 1845, this is the testimony which was born, and we who are apostles today renew it as our witness. We say then in life or in death, in bonds or free, that the great God has spoken in this age, and we know it. He has given us the holy priesthood and apostleship and the keys of the kingdom of God to bring about the restoration of all things as promised by the holy prophets of old, and we know it. He has revealed the origin and the records of the aboriginal tribes of America and their future destiny and we know it. He has revealed the fullness of the gospel with its gifts, blessings, and ordinances, and we know it. He has commanded us to bear witness of it, first to the Gentiles, and then to the remnants of Israel and the Jews. He has also said that if they do not repent and come to the knowledge of the truth, and also put away all murder, lying, pride, priestcraft, whoredom, and secret abominations, 
they shall soon perish from the earth and be cast down to hell, and we know it. He has said that, that when the gospel in all its fullness is preached to all nations for a witness and testimony, he will come and all the saints with him to reign on earth 1,000 years, and we know it. He has said that he will come, will not come in his glory and destroy the wicked till these warnings were given and these preparations were made for his reception, and we know it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one jot or tittle of his revealed word shall fail to be fulfilled. Therefore, again, we say to all people, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit and shall know the truth and be numbered with the house of Israel." Now there remains but one thing more for me to do today, and that is to bear my personal testimony. I know that God lives, that he is a personal being, the Father of our spirits, and that he loves his children and hears and answers their righteous prayers. I know that it is his will that his children be happy. It is his desire to bless us all. I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our elder brother, the very creator and redeemer of the world. I know that God has again established his kingdom on the earth in fulfillment of prophecy, and that it will never be overcome, but it shall ultimately hold universal dominion in the earth. And Jesus Christ shall reign as its king forever. I know that God in his goodness has again revealed himself from the heavens and that Joseph Smith was called of God to reestablish that kingdom, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I testify that he accomplished this work that he laid the foundations and that he committed to the Church the keys and powers to continue the great Latter-day work, which he began under the direction of Almighty God. I know that Joseph Smith, although slain as a martyr to the truth, still lives, and that as head of this dispensation, the greatest of all gospel dispensations, he will continue so to stand throughout the eternities to come. He is a prophet of God, a seer, and a revelator, as are his successors. I know that the inspiration of the Lord is directing the Church today because I have felt of its power. I know that the First Presidency and other general authorities of the Church have as their object and purpose the glory of God and the exaltation of his children. And finally, I know that no person who does not receive this work can be saved in the celestial kingdom of God and escape the condemnation of the judge of us all. Humbly and prayerfully, 
I leave this testimony knowing full well I must eventually meet my Maker and stand with all men before the judgment bar of God. More than anything else in all the world, I am grateful for this testimony of the divinity of this great Latter-day work and exhort all men everywhere to give heed thereto. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My dear brethren and sisters, the subject I have chosen to speak about this morning is the value of a good reputation. From this pulpit, we've heard many great messages emphasizing the importance of living the gospel and improving our lives. If you were asked the question, why is it important to keep the commandments and live the teachings of Christ, what would your answer be? Perhaps many of us would say, to gain eternal life. That's right, to gain eternal life. But for whom? For ourselves? Yes, that's part of it. But Christ taught, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. We should focus not on serving ourselves, but on serving our fellow men, thereby losing ourselves in the service of our Heavenly Father, His work, and His glory. In order to be most effective in our service, we need to put our own lives in order. Then, as we live the gospel, our lives will reflect righteousness and virtue, and we will be a powerful influence for good in the lives of others. This is why it is not enough to be righteous for the sake of our own salvation. We must let our goodness radiate to others, that through our example and reputation they will lift their lives and have the desire to follow the Savior's pattern of living. As we go about our daily activities, we're often being judged by our fellow men. Some of these judgments may be just and some may be unjust. We can't always control what others think of us or how others judge us, but we can control the kinds of messages we send out through our behavior. We should do all we can to establish for ourselves a worthy reputation, for such is of priceless worth. It is often the key to influencing others for good and can be the means of bringing the gospel into their lives. The importance of a good rep reputation means emphasized to me when I entered into business many years ago with a great business leader. Our plans were to start a new wholesale business. He was to furnish the capital and I was to furnish the management. After we reached an understanding, he wrote me a check for a very large sum of money, and then he said, if the business is a success, you will get all the credit. And if the business fails, you will likewise get all the credit. <laughs> he then went on to say, should the business fail, you will lose more than I will. I'll only lose money, and I have more of that. But you will lose your reputation, which is much more valuable than money. I will never forget the value this highly successful businessman placed on reputation. Fortunately for both of us, the business was successful. 
I prefer not to think of reputation as a superficial facade attempting to indicate depth where there is only shallowness, honesty where there is deceit, or virtue where there is unrighteousness. Rather, I like to think of reputation as a window, clearly exhibiting the integrity of one's soul. It is through this integrity of thought and integrity of conduct that we become pure and holy before the Lord. It is in this state that we can be most effective in serving our fellow men. Christ taught us to be other-centered. It is not enough for us to live the gospel inwardly. We need to be shining examples to all with whom we come in contact. In this sense, it's not only what we are that's important. What others think of us is also important. In order to be truly effective as missionaries, we need to be known for our good qualities, to have an unspotted reputation in all things. I would like, for example, to be known for my dependability, for being honest and upright in all my dealings. I would like to be a man who, is, who meets his financial obligations on due date or prior thereto, a man whose word is as good as his bond. I would like to be known as one who can be trusted and whose loyalty is unquestionable. I would like to be known as one who keeps the commandments and one who is fully committed in helping to build the kingdom of God. Sometimes we hear a comment like, What does it matter what I do? It's my life and I can do what I want with it. It may be true that we are the ones most affected by our own actions, but in this life, no man is an island. Every mortal's life is intertwined with others' lives. It is not possible for a person to represent only himself. Every individual represents certain other people or groups of people as well. For example, we are all representatives of our own families, and the reputation of a family is established through the actions of individual family members. President George Albert Smith tells the story of a time when he was seriously ill and had traveled to St. George, Utah to see if it would improve his health. He became so weak that he could scarcely move. And his account is this, as I quote this way, One day under these conditions I lost consciousness of my surroundings and I thought I had passed to the other side. I found myself standing with my back to a large and beautiful lake, facing a great forest of trees. I realized, or seemed to realize, that I had finished my work in mortality and had gone home. I began to look around to see if I could not find someone. There was no evidence of anyone living there, just those great, beautiful trees in front of me and the wonderful lake behind me. I began to explore, and soon I found a trail through the woods which seemed to have been used very little and which was almost obscured by grass. I followed this trail, and after I had walked for some time and had traveled a considerable distance through the forest, I saw a man coming toward me. I became aware that he was a very large man, and I hurried my steps to reach him because I recognized him as my grandfather. I remember how happy I was to see him coming. I had been given his name and had always been proud of it. When Grandfather came within a few feet of me, he stopped. His stopping was an invitation for me to stop. 
Then and this I would like the boys and girls and young people never to forget. He looked at me very earnestly and said, I would like to know what you have done with my name. Everything I had ever done passed before me as though it were a flying picture on a screen, everything I had done. Quickly this vivid retrospect came down to the very time I was standing there. My whole life had passed before me. I smiled and looked at my grandfather and said, I have never done anything with your name of which you need to be ashamed. He stepped forward and took me into his arms, and as he did so, I became conscious again of my earthly surroundings. My pillow was as wet as though water had been poured on it, wet with tears of gratitude that I could answer unashamed. President Smith continued to say, I have thought of this many times, and I want to tell you that I have been trying more than ever since that time to take care of that name. So I want to say to the boys and girls, to the young men and women, to the youth of the church and all of the world, honor your fathers and your mothers, honor the names that you bear, because someday you will have the privilege and the obligation of reporting to them and to your Father in heaven what you have done with their name." Not only do we represent our families, but each of us belongs to a community, state, province, or nation whose collective reputation is based on the actions of individuals. Many of us represent the business or organization for which we earn our living. Students represent the schools which they attend. As a member of the Church, we all represent the Church through our actions. What is our message? We have a special sacred responsibility. When we are baptized, we take upon ourselves the name of Christ. Each week as we partake of the sacrament, we renew this covenant with our Heavenly Father to take upon ourselves the name of His Son, to always remember Him and keep His commandments that we might always have His Spirit to be with us. Through baptism, we become members of Christ's family. We bear his name. We represent him here on earth as holders of his priesthood and as members of his kingdom. We have the privilege to represent him to others, to bear his message to his children throughout the world, to be missionaries. We have the responsibility to be worthy of his name, to represent him well in every way to every person we meet to so live that our lives are Christian sermons in operation. For Christ has said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As we build our character, our light will shine brighter, and our outward reputation will become but a reflection of our inward self. Then will our reputation be one, both before God and before our fellow men. I know through many years of experience in both church and business affairs that it is highly important to maintain a good and worthy reputation in all that we do. I testify that in order to obtain real joy and happiness in this life, 
and be effective servants of the Lord in helping to build his kingdom, we must build and retain a good reputation. This can only be accomplished by repenting of our sins and living the principles of the gospel, thereby keeping the commandments of God. May we all do this, I humbly pray, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brethren and sisters, I invite you to join in the prayer that while I speak, you and I may both enjoy the Spirit. I will give you a lesson today which the Lord has taken great pains to bring to us. Among the questions frequently raised in connection with our upcoming National Bicentennial is, can we maintain our basic freedoms, peace, and prosperity for another 200 years? The answer to this question is yes, if we shall individually repent and conform to the laws of the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ. He has stated the basics of his laws in the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, and in the two great commandments, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Millenniums, millenniums ago, he declared, There shall none come to this land, he was speaking of America, save they shall be brought by the hand of God. This land is consecrated unto him whom he shall bring. And if it so be, they shall serve, that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he hath given, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. Another ancient prophet said, This is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ. It's my purpose in making these remarks to point out from the record of ancient inhabitants of America that the foregoing decree have been carried out. In the western part of the state of New York near Palmyra is a prominent hill known as Hill Camorra. On July the 25th of this year, as I stood on the crest of that hill, admiring the awe-inspiring and breathtaking panorama which stretched out before me on every hand, my mind reverted to the events which occurred in that vicinity some 25 centuries ago, events which brought to an end the great Jaredite nation. You who are acquainted with the Book of Mormon will recall that during the final campaign of the fratricidal war between the armies led by Shiz and those led by Coriandomer, nearly two millions of Coriandomer's people had been slain by the sword, two millions of mighty men and also their wives and their children. As the conflict intensified, all the people who had not been slain, men with their wives and their children, gathered about that hill, Camorra. 
The people who were for Coriandmer were gathered together to the army of Coriandmer, and the people who were for Shiz were gathered together to the army of Shiz, both men and women, children being armed with weapons of war. They did march forth one against another to battle, and they fought all that day and conquered not. And it came to pass that when it was night, they were weary and and retired to their camps and took up a howling and a lamentation for the loss of the slain of their people. This routine was repeated day after day until they had all fallen by the sword, save it was Coriandomer and Shiz. Shiz himself had fainted from the loss of blood. And it came to pass that Coriandomer had leaned upon, after he had leaned upon his sword, smote off the head of Shiz. And Coriandomer fell to the earth and became as if he had no life. Thus perished at the foot of Cumorah the remnant of the once mighty Jaredite nation of whom the Lord had said, There shall be none greater among all the, upon all the face of the earth. As I contemplated this tragic scene from the crest of Cumorah and viewed the beautiful land of the restoration as it appears today, I cried in my soul, how could it have happened? The answer came immediately, as I remembered that some 15 to 20 centuries before their destruction, as the small group of their ancestors was being divinely led from the Tower of Babel, the Lord would not that they come, the Lord would that they should come forth unto this land of promise, which was choice, above all other lands which the Lord had preserved for a righteous people. And he had sworn in his wrath unto the brother of Jared, their prophet leader, that whoso should possess this land from that time henceforth and forever should serve him, the true and only God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, wrote the ancient prophet historian, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice, above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. Pursuant to this decree concerning the land of America, the Jaredites were swept off in the manner we reviewed, because rebelling against the laws of Jesus Christ, the God of the land, they ripened in iniquity. Nor were they the only people who were anciently divinely led to this choice land to grow in righteousness, to be a mighty nation, and then to deteriorate in wickedness until they ripened in iniquity and were, pursuant to God's decree, swept off. I emphasize divinely led because, as above stated, the Lord told them that they were being so led and that there shall none come 
unto this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Wherefore, this land is consecrated unto him whom he shall bring. And if it so be that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he has given, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. Wherefore, they shall never be brought down into captivity. If so, it shall be because of iniquity. For if iniquity shall abound, cursed shall be the land for their sakes. But unto the righteous it shall be blessed forever. This second civilization of which I refer, the Nephites, flourished in America between 600 B.C. and 400 A.D. Their civilization came to an end for the same reason, at the same place, and in the same manner as did the Jaredites. From the account of their death struggle, I quote, And now, says Mormon, their historian, I finish my record concerning the destruction of my people, the Nephites, and it came to pass that we did march forth before the Lamanite nights to the land of Cumorah. And when we had gathered in all the remainder of our people unto the land of Cumorah, my people with their wives and their children did behold the armies of the Lamanites marching towards them. And with that awful fear of death, which fills the breasts of all the wicked, did they await to receive them. And it came to pass that they did fall upon my people with the sword and with the bow and with the arrow and with the axe and with all manner of weapons of war. And it came to pass that my men were hewn down, yea, even my ten thousand who were with me. And I fell wounded in the midst, and they passed by me that they did not put an end to my life. And when they'd gone through and hewn down all my people, save it were twenty-four, of us, among whom was my son Moroni, and we, having survived the dead of our people, did behold on the morrow, from the top of the hill Cumorah, 230,000 of my people who were hewn down, even all my people, save it were those 20 and 4 who were with me, and also a few who had escaped into the south countries, and a few who had descended over unto the Lamanites had fallen. And my soul was rent with anguish, and I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? How could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, Ye husbands and wives, how is it that you could have fallen? Oh, that ye had repented before this great destruction had come upon you. Moroni, a little later, wrote, Behold, I, Moroni, do finish the record of my father, Mormon. After the great and tremendous battle of Camorra, the Nephites who had escaped into the country southward were hunted by the Lamanites until they were all destroyed, and my father was also killed by them, and I even remain alone to write the sad tale of the destruction of my people. The tragic fate of the Jaredites and the Nephite civilizations is proof positive that the Lord meant what he said when, 
when he said, This is a land of promise, and whosoever, whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh when they are ripened in iniquity. This information, this information that I've told you, wrote Moroni, addressing himself to us who today occupy this land, cometh unto you, O you Gentiles. Now, Gentiles is the term used by the Book of Mormon prophets to refer to the present inhabitants of America and to the peoples of the old world from which they came. This cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the earth have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven if they will but serve the God of the land who is Jesus Christ. In 1492, in harmony with the Lord's statement thereto heretofore quoted, that there shall none come unto this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord, Columbus was divinely led to America. Way back 500, uh, between 590 and 600 years B.C., Nephi, in vision, looking down the stream of time, beheld a man among the Gentiles, that's among the nations of Europe, who was separated from this promised land by the many waters. And I beheld, said he, the Spirit of God, that it came down and wrought upon the man, and he went forth upon the mighty waters, even to the promised land. And it came to pass that I beheld the Spirit of God, that it wrought upon other Gentiles, and they went forth upon the many waters. And it came to pass that I beheld many multitudes of the Gentiles upon the land of promise. Columbus himself corroborated the fact that he was divinely led to this land in the royal presence of Isabella, Irving, his biographer, writes, he unfolded his plans with eloquence and zeal, for he felt himself, as he afterwards declared, kindled as with a fire from on high, and considered himself the agent chosen of heaven to accomplish the grand design. His son, Fernando, in the biography of his father, quotes him as saying on one occasion, God gave me the faith and afterwards the courage so that I was quite willing to undertake the journey. And the will of Columbus reads, In the name of the Holy Trinity, who inspired me with the idea and afterwards made it perfectly clear to me that I could navigate and go to the Indies from Spain by traversing, traversing the ocean westward. Columbus was led because he was led. We are here in this choice land. 
God gave us victory in the Revolutionary War. We are indebted to him for our nation's independence. He has prospered us in every righteous endeavor. He established the Constitution of the United States by the hands of wise men whom he raised up to that very purpose. He himself, with his beloved son, appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith to open up a new dispensation of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this land. He has established his church here and has sent and is now sending representatives thereof into every nook and corner of the land and as far as possible to all the earth to declare and teach the laws of Jesus Christ, the God of this land. He has revealed anew and repeated over and over again the ancient decree, This is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. Concerning concerning this land. This knowledge has been revealed to us that we may know the decrees of God, that we may repent and not continue in our iniquities until the fullness come, that we may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon us as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. We are living in the dispensation of the fullness of times, which will be climaxed by the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning the approach of that event and what is in store for the inhabitants of the earth between now and then, the Lord said 144 years ago, The wrath of God shall be poured out upon the wicked without measure. Wherefore, the voice of the Lord is unto the ends of the earth, that all that will hear may hear. This is his message. Prepare ye, prepare ye for that which is to come. For the Lord is nigh, and the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. The hour is not yet, but it is nigh at hand when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his dominion, and also the Lord shall have power over his saints, and shall reign in their midst, and shall come down in judgment upon the world. Now, my beloved brethren and sisters everywhere, both members of the church and non-members, I bear you my personal witness that I know the things I have presented to you today are true, both those pertaining to past events and those pertaining to events, to events yet to come. The issue we face is clear and well-defined. The choice is ours. The question is, shall we of this dispensation repent and obey the laws of God, the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ, or shall we continue to defy them until we ripen in iniquity, that we will repent and obey 
and thereby qualified to receive the blessings promised to the righteous in this land, I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen.